My name is Alex DeRose and I'm our Family Life Pastor and I'm excited to be with you today as we continue our summer-long series called One Thing Remains. We kicked off the summer talking about Jonah and then last week Aaron Mayalki, our REACH director, started us off on the story of Ruth. Ruth is just a wonderful woman that lived on this planet and she's one of the most pivotal characters in all of eternity because from her line comes Jesus Christ. And Aaron did a great job kicking us off with the first five verses of Ruth, and they are, without a doubt, the most five depressing verses in the whole book of Ruth. So it's great. We strategically gave uh, Ruth 1, 1 through 5 to our most optimistic staff member, and, and Aaron did just a great job of keeping it positive and, and leaving us uh, with, a, with a good feeling, even though it started kind of rough. So it starts with Elimelech, which... I have to say, it's one of the most fun names to say uh, of all time, Elimelech. You don't have to trust me. You can, on the way home, just say it by yourself, Elimelech. And Elimelech had this wife, Naomi, and they had two sons, and they were in God's land, in God's country in Judah, and they decided to leave during a famine to go to Moab, a foreign country that was worshiping false gods. And that's as far as we got last week. We're going to pick it up from there. But before we do that, would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you so much for being with us today. I pray that as we hear from your word, that we will allow it to transform our lives. We thank you for the reminder that you were working in the, the lives of Ruth and Naomi a long time ago, and you're working in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read Ruth 1, 6 through 8. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Let's just call it like it is right off the bat. This situation for Naomi was awful. The fact that she lost her spouse and her two boys around the same time is miserable. As someone who has a spouse and two boys, I can't imagine the mindset that you're in during this or how you'd be able to pick yourself up each morning directly after this happens. But what a wonderful blessing that God gives to her during this moment. He blesses his people and then finds a way that only God can to get the word that he's blessing his people all the way over to Moab where Naomi currently resides. He gets this word to her that he is blessing the people and he's drawing Naomi back to his land, back into relationship with him. And what a wonderful thing it is that Naomi responds. And she responds in obedience. Even in her grief, she responds in obedience to go back. And so she is understanding what is happening. She's understanding that God is currently at work, and this is something that we can all be reminded of. God is at work right now in our lives and in the lives around us. God, the same God that was moving in this situation, that moves all throughout the recorded Word in God's Bible, in the Word that we have, that same God is still working today. A few years ago, I heard a message about God's glory. It was a message about how Moses, one of God's great leaders, went to God and basically demanded to see his supernatural nature, his glory. And so from that day on, over these last four or so years, I've been getting on my knees every day asking to see God's glory. I want to see his supernatural work on this earth. I want to see his miracles. I believe he's still moving, so I just want to see it. 
And let me tell you that God has been responding, and he'll respond to you as well. He wants to show us how he's working. Unfortunately, sometimes I'm so busy with what I'm doing, I'm so distracted with what I have going on, that I don't always see. And sometimes weeks later, someone will point out something that God was doing, and I'll go, oh man, I wasn't paying enough attention. But sometimes God blesses me by yanking me out of my situation and pointing me to what he's doing. This happened a couple weeks ago. I was at a pool, and I was getting real burnt, and I was with my family, and it was great. Didn't know I was getting burnt at the time. I found that out much later. Uh, but I was, I was having a great time, and I got a text from a buddy of mine. His name is Asa. Asa plays board games, and, and he's a follower of Jesus, and, and we uh, became friends over this online server where, where we talk about board games and stuff. And Asa messaged me and said, hey, do you see what's going on right now in the, the chat, that, uh, the board game chat that's going on? And I said, no, man, I'm at the pool. Uh, what's going on? He said, some awful things are happening, some bad words are, are being said, and he said he felt like he was being attacked. And so I said, hey, I'm going to pray for you, and then later on I'll check. So later on, a couple hours later, my boys were napping, I checked what was going on, and I saw that there was this argument raging. It was right at the time of the, when the internet was blowing up with the debates about abortion, and my friend Asa was simply saying that, that he is for what God is for, the, the unborn and the mother and the family unit. And he was saying that, and then there was some crazy stuff happening. And so my initial response wasn't good. My initial response was to start typing something that would have made someone cry. I was ready to defend my buddy Asa. I was ready to say some things. I was going back into to pre-Jesus uh, follower Alex where I thought, man, like I could, I could use my words for evil. And, and so I was ready and I was typing. And then I felt... I don't know if you've ever felt this before. I felt like I was a fish that got a hook stuck in him and I was pulled away. I felt God was just yanking me away while I was about to press send. And God was saying, no, stop. And I was like, why? Like, I, there's these people and they need to know the truth. And I wasn't including the love. But I was like, I need them to know. And I said, God, you sent J Jonah to go to a people and talk about judgment. Let me do the same thing right now. And he's like, no, I'm at work. Let me do it. He's like, let me fight for you right now. So I said, okay. So I didn't send it. I, I messaged my buddy Asa and I said, hey, I can't say anything right now. I feel God's leading me away. Let's just keep on praying. He's got to do something. A couple minutes later, someone posted in there saying about how all Christians are idiots. And again, I was like, okay, let me at him. Like, let me go. I know some really smart Christians, okay? And, uh, and in the response... There was a person in the chat, his name is Dave, he's a friend of mine. He, he, he claims to be a very strict atheist. I look at him as a pre-Christian. He doesn't know it yet, but he'll be there someday praying that God will work in his heart. Dave posted and said, hey, calm down. Don't talk like that. I won't let it happen. Some of the smartest people I know are Christians. And I went, oh man, I know him. Uh, I don't think it was about me, mind you. But um, maybe. I messaged him regardless because I felt God was like, bringing me, prompting me, because I've been, this is a guy that I've been praying for every single day. We got together when he visited Pittsburgh. We've been, we've been hanging out, playing board games, and I've been doing my best to show him the love of Jesus. I know what he believes. We've talked about it. We're about as opposite on everything except board games as you can be. And as uh, I messaged him, I just said, thank you. Like, thank you so much for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. And then we got into talking about J.R.R. Tolkien and stuff because he's a really smart Christian that, that lived in and stuff like that. But it was really great. It was comforting to talk to Ace. I was like, okay, hey, that was God responding. And then it happened again. People kept on saying some pretty awful things. And then my buddy Dave gets into the chat again and says, hey, I just want everyone to know 
that me and Pastor Alex are as about as close as you get on this server. We're good friends, although we disagree on almost everything. He says, I'm an atheist, and if you couldn't tell by Pastor Alex's name on here, he's a pastor, and he, he follows Jesus. And although we disagree, I haven't spent more time with someone else that has shown me the love that, that he has in the way that we disagree, but we're still kind to each other. And he said, we can do that as a community. We don't have to agree in order to show uh, love to one another. And I was just amazed, like, oh my gosh, like God was like sitting there being like, I told you so. Like, I told you I'm working. And I was amazed because of the response. I mean, God had been pouring in. I've been praying for him every day that God would move his heart. And now he hasn't trusted in Jesus just yet, but there's something there. He acknowledges that there's something different. Later on in the week, uh, me and Asa got back together. We were talking again, praying again. We ended up posting something. We had a good talk, but it was back. It was when tensions were, were down, and it was the love and truth, and it was a good conversation, and I'm glad that I went through that with Asa. And I tell you that story not to tell you it so that you can be like, oh, wow, Alex, Alex was really nice to his friend. That's not it. I'm telling you it because if it wasn't for God, I would have really screwed it up. If it wasn't for God, I would have said some stuff that would not have allowed David to come in and be like, hey, Alex is a nice guy. Because I want to be like, well, did you just see what he said? Um, That wasn't super nice. But because God was in there and he was pulling me away and he was saying, watch me work. I'm at work. I was able to see his glory by simply stopping and being still and listening, and I'm so thankful for that. And I believe it's something that Naomi was able to do in her hurt, in the pain. She was able to notice that God was at work and that he was blessing the people, and she was drawn back there. And it's something that we can apply to our lives today. Psalm 46 talks about this. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. That same God that was moving then is moving now. He's still the God of angel armies. He's still our fortress for times of trouble. And what does he tell us to do? To be still and to acknowledge that he is God and that he is in charge. So Naomi acknowledges this. And then we get to see what happens. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Even in grief, Naomi was doing what she thought was best to serve her daughters-in-law. She was showing us the very fundamental truth that every healthy relationship contains sacrifice. God teaches us that. He was willing to sacrifice his son for us. If we look at healthy marriages, it's because both partners are willing to sacrifice. They're willing to go 100% for each other, not allowing one person to go 100% and them go in 25. The healthiest marriages are when both sacrifice. Same thing with friends. Same thing at work. If you have a coworker that's fighting not only for them to get ahead, but for you as well, that relationship forms. When we sacrifice for one another, we enter into these healthy relationships. So in response to this, Orpah and Ruth say this. No, they said. We want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No. My daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? 
Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Orpah left and she obeyed and she entered back into the community of the Moabites, but Ruth didn't. She wanted to stay. She wanted to follow because there was something that was drawing her to God and his people. And in fact, by doing so, she was answering what James would say much later in James 1.27, that true religion is ministering to the orphans and the widows. Ruth was doing this. She was sacrificing her community, the safety that it would be to go back to Moab where she grew up, where she knew everything, to go and make this long journey back to a nation where she's never been before. She sacrificed to take care of her mother-in-law. And now, I don't want to get anyone in trouble by saying this, but I don't know how many of us would sacrifice our whole lives for our mother-in-laws, okay? Um, Guys, focus straight ahead. Um, (laughs) Blinders on. But Ruth was willing to do this because of the importance it was to be in this community, to be in this relationship. This is the same kind of wisdom that King Solomon said in his book, Ecclesiastes. He says this, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asked himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. We know that in our hearts, that if we are only going for the stuff of the world, it's going to be meaningless. We can look to to media. I mean, it shows that. If you ever watch The Christmas Carol, you look at Scrooge, and that's like literally the lesson that it's taught. If you have all the money in the world, but no relationships, it's all meaningless. King Solomon continues, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken." We're going to face hardships in this life. It's going to happen. But when we stay in this community together, the community that God has for us, we're going to be able to defend ourselves against whatever comes our way. And this leads us to our take-home point. The one point this message is all about today comes out of Ecclesiastes and Ruth and really the whole scope of God's word. And it's this, God created us to live in community. God created me and you to live in community. In fact, the first person ever, Adam, was created by himself. And then God said, it's not good for you to be alone. So then he made Eve to be his partner, to help. And then throughout history, God's been doing the same exact thing. He's been providing friends and family members and spouses to go alongside people to do the work that he has called us to do. In fact, Jesus on this earth went with 12 disciples everywhere he went. And then when he, dis- he sent those disciples out to do ministry, he sent them two by two. I told you the story about Asa earlier simply because we are thankful that we were able to go through that together. 
After it was all said and done, Asa said he was happy that I was in the community with him because he would quit if there wasn't anyone else for the same cause that he was at. It would be too exhausting. I said, I feel the same exact way. We're able to do this together because God created us to live and dwell in community, to not fight by ourselves, but to go back to back with someone that is also pulling the same direction in the community of God. And so this is what Ruth is fighting for. Ruth is saying, no, I want to go with you, Naomi. I want to go and be part of the community of God. And she responds so boldly. She says this, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, nothing more. I believe this is one of the most beautiful commitments in all of history, in all of God's word, and all of literature. Ruth makes this impassioned plea to say, I want to go with you and your God to be my God. I first heard of this because my youth pastor, Jamie, said this to his wife on their wedding day. And I believe that this kind of commitment is something that we yearn for, that our hearts long for. I'm so thankful to have Rachel, my wife, in my life so we can have this kind of commitment together. And this is what Ruth is saying to Naomi, that she wants this. She wants to pour her life in with her mother-in-law so they could go together. And Ruth, in this moment, teaches us something very important. There's a lot of cool things we can take from Ruth. But what I I feel like God is sharing from from right here is that there's going to be a lot of wisdom that we get from the world. There's going to be a lot of wisdom that we get from our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. And some of it will be good and some of it won't be good. But no matter what it is, we must run it through the filter of God and his word. In this moment, Naomi was actually telling Ruth to go away. She was trying to do it out of love, but it wasn't the greatest advice. Ruth would be better off going with her to God's people. And it'd be better for Naomi as well. And so it's really cool to see that Ruth stood strong. And she's such a strong woman because she was willing to say, you're telling me to go. Orpah already left. I'm going to go with you. And she ran it through this filter of being with her and being with her God as long as she lived. And this is the same thing that the Apostle Paul taught to the Roman church. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ruth was able to test this this wisdom that she was getting from Naomi. Is it good for me to go back home to my family? And she said, no, ultimately, I'm going to go with you to be with God's family. And she chose a community with someone that was going to help her transform to look more like Jesus, not to conform. And in fact, the community we keep will either make it easier to conform or to be transformed. The community we keep will either help us do one of those two things. Now, this is not saying don't keep relationships with people that aren't followers of Jesus. But it does mean when we do that, if we can, let's go together. Let's go with someone who also believes in Jesus, or let's go and pray up before you go into that situation. My wife and I recently went to a family wedding where we knew there was a lot of people that that aren't following Jesus, and during those times, it can be easy to be tempted to live like the world. And so we said, hey, let's just pray before we go in and ask God's protection. We can go and pray and plan to go forward with God and not alone. Because it can be so easy to be torn down and to be like those that you're spending time with. 
I mean, I look at myself in high school when this was that way. Like, when I was hanging out in high school with my friends at Seneca Valley that were picking on people, making fun of people, sleeping during class, I did the same thing. And I'm not admitting blame. That's on me as well. But it was easier to fall into that. And then when I started attending youth group and I saw people that were transformed to look like Jesus, who people gave their lives over to Jesus, and then overnight it seemed they had more peace and more purpose in their lives, I went, now nah, I want some of that. They were looking so different than everyone else I had experienced that I knew I wanted to find out who this Jesus was. This last Tuesday at youth group, Sam Fonstock was talking. Sam Fonstock's one of our great worship leaders on the weekend, he was talking to New Life students, and he said this, being different from the world will help others see Jesus and you. And it's so true. When we look different, when we look like Jesus, it's going to stand out to people. And we can even look in this story, and there was this authentic love between Ruth and Naomi. Again, not everyone has a relationship with their mother-in-law, but there was this real intense love that was between them. And then Ruth was able to witness that this blessing that God had on his people had a tremendous effect, impact on the life of Naomi. So much so that she said, I want to go with you. And it's so cool because we don't know all of Ruth's story. We don't know if she committed to following God before this moment or not, but we do know that she was up against it in following God. She was born in a country far from God's people. She was born in a country that worshiped false gods. And then when she finally met people that loved God, they were running from him in his land. And then when she marries into this family, they all die. And then when she's about to go back to God's people, Naomi actually even says, go back home. She was up against it. But this teaches us something very foundational to God's word. It's this, that no one is too far from God's reach. No one is too far from God's reach. That neighbor, that friend, that family member, whoever it is, are not too far away from God. God is using all these circumstances to pull Ruth and Naomi back to him. And he's still doing that today. Maybe you're in here today. And you stepped into this church and you're saying, I don't know if I buy any of these stuff. Let me tell you that God is pulling you into relationship with him. Because the most important relationship we can have on this planet is that relationship, that community with God. And so Ruth and Naomi decide to go back to God's people together. And it continues in Ruth 1, 19 through 21. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Naomi showed great faith in this moment. She acknowledged the pain that she was going through, but she also acknowledged that God is still the Almighty God. She acknowledged that even in her suffering, God is still God. And what an important lesson for us to learn, that when we go through whatever it is we're going through, and you might be going through something tremendously awful right now, our God is still God, and he still loves you desperately. He's still working for his good, for your good, for, for the good of those who follow God. And sometimes during these awful moments, it draws us, these circumstances, closer into the most important community, of course, with God. And in this moment, that's what's happening. Naomi's life was ravished, and it was changed, and it was not good, but she was drawn back to God's people. I don't know if you've ever experienced that whenever it felt like you hit rock bottom or things went really awful, 
and you were drawn closer to God. I haven't often heard someone say, wow, I just got a whole bunch of money and a new job and all this extra stuff. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. Usually it's the opposite, right? When you feel like you're up against it, that's when you call upon the strength of God to help us. Because in those times, we understand how much we need a Savior, how much we need God. The song, Sure Thing, written by Hillsong United, eloquently puts it this way. Don't let it take a fall to bring me to my knees again. But if it's what I need, I'll take my place. Again, sometimes it takes us to fall to our knees to understand how important God is. Recently, I randomly saw an interview that happened years ago. It was an interview with a guy named Kobe Bryant, who was one of the best basketball players to to ever play in the NBA, and he passed away a couple years back. A few years before he retired, he was intertwined with this scandal about extramarital affairs. And after that was done, he was being interviewed, and this is the interview I saw by a guy named Stephen A. Smith. And, and during the interview, Stephen A. Smith asked him, and I think it's a bold question, asked him, what did you learn during this experience? And Kobe responded by saying, God is great. And you can see the interviewer kind of get nervous about this, like, oh, what do I, that wasn't what I was expecting, what do I say back? And then he responds, did you know that, that God is great? I mean, everyone knows that, but The way you know it now, did you know it before that incident took place? And then Kobe responds by saying, you can know it all you want, but until you have to pick up that cross that you can't carry and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know. Now, I don't know what the rest of Kobe's life was like before he passed away, but I do know that there wasn't a peep in the media about any other scandals after this moment. Do know that it takes sometimes for us to lose everything to understand that God is in charge. Let that not be so. Let us be reminded in all situations how important it is to be with God. And if we dwell in community, let us know this, with God, there's no situation too dire. So let's start the situations, especially those bad situations, already being in community with God. So when we go through them, we can know for sure the whole time that God is there with us. And this is is what Ruth and Naomi were experiencing this moment, being reminded of the fact that God was there with them. Recently at New Life Students, what we've been doing at the beginning of of every night is one of the leaders shares her testimony about what God has done in, in their lives. And recently, Brenda Lutz, one of our great team members, shared her story. And through her story, she said that it's during the toughest times that our roots of faith have grown the deepest. And as we look at Naomi and Ruth over these next couple weeks, we're going to see how God starts to bless them and let them be aware that he's moving and he's active and he's at work. And then as we get further on, we'll see how their, their line from Ruth all the way leads to Jesus. But before we get into too many stuff about what's going to happen in the future, let's finish Ruth 1, 22. It says this, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman, They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So Naomi and Ruth, they went together. They went in this community and they joined this community of God. And in this, it reminds us that when God calls us to fellowship or to to invest time with other people, to be in this community, it's not simply so we can just hang out. There's a difference between living in community with people that will help us be transformed to look like Jesus and simply hanging out with people in general. There's an importance to invest time with those who love Jesus so that we could be transformed to look like Jesus. Now, we're going to get and see how it's important also to invest time with other communities as well. 
But in God's word, we can see this wonderful example, this great model from the early church. When Jesus sent into heaven, Acts 2 says that the early church lived in this type of community. It says this, So all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. What an amazing model for us to go and look and say, how can we sacrifice for those in our communities? How can we give what we have so other people have? What can we do to serve and to sacrifice, to show the love of Jesus that he has shown to us because ultimately he has sacrificed for us? Also, what an incredible thing that they said in here that that early church had the goodwill of all the people. Do you know how difficult that would be in a land where the Roman Empire was rolling and they did not want the Christian church to succeed at this time? How hard would that be when the Jewish church did not want the, the early Christian church to succeed at that time, but still they had the goodwill? They must have been sacrificing. They must have really been doing this and being in the hands and feet in their community. It reminds us how important it is for not just the leadership of New Life, but for all of us to look at our community and say, how can we serve them? We can ask this question, how can I help my community improve to be as God designed it? It starts by investing in this community of believers to being filled up and then going out and pouring out everything that God's given to us, to other people, by serving, by sacrificing, and by praying, by ultimately loving people as God has loved us. Jesus, when he's on this earth, said this, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love to lay down one's life for one's friends. We're called to sacrifice and to love. We saw that with Naomi and Ruth, their willingness to sacrifice for one another, to be in this community and eventually being drawn into this community of God's people. And we can do the same thing. And one of the most important things we can do is pray. We can pray because our God is still moving. He's still active. We can pray to see God's glory show up in our communities, in our friend circles, at our workplaces, our families, everywhere. We can pray for those inside the community of God, but maybe even more importantly, pray for those outside of the community of God and pray for people to meet Jesus, to know who he is, and to be transformed into his likeness so people can experience the life that is true life, the love and the forgiveness that God offers us so we can dwell in this relationship with God, the relationship that he has designed for us to experience on this earth and forever. So if we want to do that together, we could do it through this next step, which says, I will pray daily for the needs of those in my life. Pastor Alex talked about praying and caring for others. And when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that becomes as natural as breathing, praying and caring. That's just what we do. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Here at New Life, we say it's simple. It's as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners and we admit that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we commit to following him by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation, and you can either say it along with me or you can say it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I admit that I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I believe, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to this earth and that He died on the cross and that on the third day He rose again. And I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And God, I commit to following Him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I will pray and care for others because I know that you care for others, Lord. And that's what I want to do. I want to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.